Welcome everyone to Los Libertinos Podcasts. I am your host, Carlos Abelard, and this is Chingazos and Fire episode number 31. Our guest today is Imperial Wizard Mark Metz and Grand Cyclops Justin Campbell. Mark is a contributor to the Mises Institute, and he also has his own substack called The Emergent, where he's attempting to build a culture he will not regret. Justice is uh, Justin is a podcast producer for many shows, including this one. In addition, he hosts his own podcast show called uh, Fact Checked. And both Mark and Justin are co-hosts of the Morning After podcast. Uh, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> I can't believe he connected our our joke White Supremacy Wednesday to the Mises Institute. <laughs> this is oh, no, you got to do that, you know. Yeah, for real. And I, I, I got to fact check that a little bit. I, I've written... <laughs> <laughs> I've written two guest articles for the Mises Mises.com. Oh, that's, that's hey, that's better. That's better, it. That's better than nothing. Contributor, not, but I'll take contributor. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that's what that it is. Still yeah, makes you, you a contributor. Yeah, you contributed, man. Yes, um, contribution, sure. So, um, on this show, we try to do backgrounds because it's a new show, trying to build it up. So a lot of people won't know kind of uh, who you guys are. So if you don't mind doing like a. So there's two of you guys today, like a, a, a quick background and then kind of how you guys got together to get into some of the stuff that you guys get into. Anybody uh, can so go. So I guess for me, I'll go first and go real quick. Um, I, I grew up Republican in BFE, Kentucky on a farm. And as I kind of came up through college and getting involved with politics and stuff and kind of seeing the way that the, the Republican Party operated, um, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And so as I got out of college, I moved a lot more towards the anarchist type of thinking. And um, I really always was the question everything type anyway. So <clears throat> the anarchist mentality really fit with me. And then as I've gotten older, uh, I guess I've mellowed a little bit in my older age and kind of started to calm down. And, and I've over the last five, six years, you know, with the, the Trump moment and everything and looking at the political landscape, started to get a little more involved with libertarian politics and getting back into politics a little bit, which has been really fun and interesting. But with that came all of the podcasts and stuff. And somehow I managed to just like stumble my way into working for, uh, at this point, I think I, at this point, I think I work for 11 different, uh, if you count all the shows that I do or participate in myself or produce or make clips for, or just like am connected to in some manner. Uh, I think it's 11 different shows that I'm now in some capacity attached to. So that's, that's kind of my, uh, two minute tour of, of how I got to where I am. What about you, Mark? Yeah. Let me go over my, my roller coaster of politics here too. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I grew up in a conservative, like Christian home. So, I mean, up to like my like early twenties, I was, you know, repeating that Romney talking points or whatever, like these were my, <laughs> these were my politics. Um, and 2016 happened. I actually, kind of became disillusioned with the whole conservative movement, Republican Party, because of Trump, which is kind of weird considering how I feel about him now. I actually like him better now than I did then. <laughs> um, and then I kind of I used that to foray into libertarian politics, but it was kind of a more basic uh, libertarian types until I found like the Mises Institute, 
um, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, all those guys. Uh, eventually, started calling myself and, and Ann Camp and Ann Cap for a while in 2020, and then all the stuff with the pandemic happened and the the riots of the summer of 2020, and started listening to more of the these guys who are now denigrated as the post libertarians. And I was like, I think I'd be, I kind of like fit along more with these guys um then then i guess like the mises uh, caucus libertarians um so i don't know what i would necessarily call myself right now justin says i'm a monarchist that kind of depends on on the day with me but that's kind of where i'm at is uh i guess we don't call ourselves post libertarians anymore but i'm sort of kind of in that group of people like the peak notices of the world uh uh matt erickson folks like that and to be fair i've migrated back towards referring to myself as an anarchist more so than a libertarian per se i'm still involved with the libertarian party of indiana and i'm i still uh participate in some stuff with the mises caucus but for the most part i see that as beneficial directly to my state more than anything uh, because we do have a really good libertarian party here in the state of indiana so that's more like my affiliation is because I see a positive possibility in this state, but like my overall politics is probably much more back towards the, uh, the anarchist or even agorist type. Uh, yeah. leaning. How did, and uh, how did you guys get together to start working together just through this, all these same networks here or. How did... Yeah, it was kind of dumb luck. Um, <clears throat> so Mark and I are in the, the telegram group for bucks uh buck's show for counterflow and so mark would post like different articles from his sub stack and stuff and he had the the articles that were in uh, uh that the mises institute had published and uh so it was just like from reading his sub stack and looking at that stuff i happened to ask mark if he would be interested in doing an interview one day and then we kind of i guess we we really kind of hit it off well and the interview kind of led to ideas of other future interviews. And then the future interviews kind of led to uh, interacting more. And when I pitched this idea about doing a morning show, uh, then he and a couple other guys like jumped in immediately and was like, all right, well then this is who's doing it. So it like, it was just kind of, just kind of dumb happen chance that we, uh, migrated into the same circles over and over again and just kind of you keep bumping into the same people and eventually you just start to uh, spend more time talking to them and and make something out of it so that's you know I mean that's kind of how you and I have run into each other too really Carlos yeah through the same network and stuff like that does that sound about right Mark yeah right just you guys yeah, just- yeah for sure when uh when Justin put out the the thoughts about starting a morning show I believe my my first reply was the Hunger Games, Jennifer Lawrence. What is her name? What is her name in the movie? I can't remember. Katniss Everdeen <laughs> was a gif of her doing I Volunteer as Tribute, um, which is kind of on par for Justin and I because our first interview together, uh, Justin's like, I don't know what we're talking about. And we ended up like start talking about like fiction books, fiction movies, and our mutual love for them uh, as far as I like can relate to our current reality better than even you know, what you get out of nonfiction stuff. So that was, yeah. uh, was kind of our connection there. Yeah. We've, done, uh, we've had a show with uh, like a review of the Dune movie. We've talked about 
uh, different like fictional movies on our, our morning show as well. Yeah, that's perfect, man. Uh, so yeah, so people now know what's up. Um, yeah, man, I like your show. Uh, like to me, you know, I'm a simple man, right? So to me, it really just feels like, uh, like, like four white vatos hanging out, talking shit, you know, that's really what it, what it feels like to me, man. So, uh, 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 I always get a kick out of it and, 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 and I enjoy it. And, uh, the last time I hung out with some white vatos, uh, was sometime last year. And, you know, when you brought up Buck Johnson, I was at Buck's house. Uh, Thad Russell was there. Some other guy named uh, Billy. I think he helps Buck out on some stuff too. And, um, and my wife was there too. And we were just hanging out and it was already late night. Everybody was already pretty buzzed out. And, and then the kind of, con- the conversation kind of went towards, um, uh, you know, a little, not dark, but kind of about like, uh, suicide, uh, amongst, uh, white people. And, uh, you know, my wife, she doesn't really get into a lot of conversations, but she, you know, she kind of inserted herself and, and, you know, it's all just dudes talking. And she kind of said, she kind of was asking like, you know, how hard is it to be white? You know, she just, and then everybody kind of did the, like the, Oh, okay. All right. All right. And I kind of was like, all right, cool. So she, she got everybody's attention. And, um, you know, I went into talking about like the, the leg, the pressure of legacy, the, 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 uh, eco, uh, the lack of economic opportunity, the, you know, uh, different things. But, but I guess in your show and in this, and, and the reason I'm asking this question is because, yeah, if I was hanging out with you guys, four of you guys, and I was there, I might ask the same way because it's not asked a lot because the culture and the way the narratives are always out is that uh it's the other way around that the majority is the majority the minorities are the minorities but my question to you guys is the same question that my wife asked those other white vatos and i would have asked you guys like and i don't even know if it means that it has to be like why it's hard is it hard to be white it's just what what you know yeah i guess like what you know what are we missing what are there people missing that don't know (laughs) what it is to be white (laughs) Uh, that could be question. anybody. Anybody can answer that, man. <laughs> uh, first of all, yeah. If you, if whenever you hear someone uh, say that, that white people don't have a culture, just tell them to throw on the morning after show, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as the question, um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely uh, like an anti-like white sentiment out there, especially like white males. Um, you definitely see that. Uh, I think that what you see with like, like our show is people like Justin and I are going to mostly make fun of that or mock that sort of sentiment. Um, and part of that's because it is funny and it's ridiculous. Um, the other part is it's, I mean, humor is a, is a coping mechanism as well. I'm not saying that that's, we have like tough lives out there, but I mean, there's, there's just a, there's something about making light of a situation that will just like naturally make it better. Um, but like I said, it's not like we're experiencing a whole lot of uh, um, tough times as a, as a as, as a part of like the sentiment that's out there. But also, one thing I guess I don't like about this whole like victimhood culture that's like dominating society now is like if I had I don't have kids of my own, but I'm I don't want to go around telling my kids that they are like a step below because the system or current society or current culture like puts them behind, which is kind of what you see other groups doing. Um, 
And so even if it's like more true for one group than another, and like you got this kind of like um, this fake uh, or just, just a little deception out there about like what, what group is, is being discriminated, dis- discriminated against and what group is not like, I'm not going to ever like tell my kids that because of their skin color, like they can't get ahead in life or they can't be successful or whatever, because that kind of sets them, but that in itself sets them back. Like parents telling kids that sets them back. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not going to like, uh, even if there is like a sentiment out there, like I'm not going to like dwell on that. And especially if I have like a family of my own, like I'm not going to dwell on it for their sake. And if Mark does the having kids thing, right. And he has more ginger kids, then that's going to be more of a hindrance to them than being white. Is the <laughs> fact that they're redheaded. This is true. And don't have souls. Yeah, I'm gonna. I don't have them focus on the on the hair, the hair part of it. But look. So, so we really kind of lean into the the white supremacy joke and and uh, us all being racist. Because other than Mark, like everybody on our morning shows lives in the south or like i don't live in the south currently but if you can't tell by my accent i'm pretty southern um so you know we we've really kind of lean into it and we we play off of it and make fun of it more than anything because like and like anybody that knows me personally knows i grew up hanging out in the hood and played football and basketball and like uh, like uh we always had we always had because it, we i did grow up in the south and we had a farm we always had a black guy that worked on the farm with us and his family lived there on the farm with everybody. Like, and so I just spent my entire childhood hanging out with black people. And like, I've never thought about a difference. Like it it just never, I don't know. It never struck me even being from the South and actually knowing like legitimate white supremacists and like KKK members and stuff like that. Like that they were a joke. They weren't something that you actually put any credence into so so like so uh, you know for our show and we kid with each other and stuff we really kind of lean into that but like i i don't know that maybe and maybe it's because i did grow up in a small river town that was where white people were actually like in my high school i was actually a minority uh even though you know white people are not considered a minority in my high school it was about i I think it, it was 58 42 uh, was the the split like we didn't have any uh there was like one hispanic family and no asians or anything like it was pretty much all all black and white and if if anything like it's uh playing sports it was tough as a white kid to kind of carve out a niche in athletics because you know you're the white kid uh especially like playing basketball uh, like the baseball team was mostly white, but yeah, you gotta be the football, football team was a good, was a good mix. But like, there were only a couple of us white kids on the basketball team. Like I was ridiculously athletic. So I, I kind of had that going for me, but you know, it that was like, that was kind of what I saw was uh, having it, it, it being tough to in the basketball to really, team. <laughs> yeah. To really be able to participate. Cause uh, at the end of the day, like you're on the court with, for me, I'm on the court with four other black guys and I don't get the ball. <laughs> like, you know, even though we're all friends outside of basketball, like when, when the game is going, there is a natural instinct that uh, you, I don't want to like uh, oversimplify it, but there is a, 
natural human instinct that you kind of group with those who are more like you. And I mean, they can, they act like that's not a thing, but it is like, that's, that's legitimately a thing. Like if you're, if you're in a room with, you know, two dozen people and there's a handful of people who look like you and then a whole bunch of others who don't, you're naturally more inclined that you're going to probably migrate towards those. Even if it's not, you know, even if it's not something that you consciously do, that's human behavior. And that's, that's animalistic behavior. Like you see that across pretty much all species that they tend to, to group together uh, by like kind. And so, you know, I, I mean, it, it made sense. And that was like, for me, that's the thing that I had to overcome as a kid, but you know, and I didn't have like, I didn't have any economic hardship that my friends who lived in the hood had. But do you, do you remember maybe the first time that you felt like uh, racism towards you? Like, you know, from the, like, you know, like, do you remember, do you have like as a kid, like, oh man, like they made fun of me because I was white or then, you know, do you remember, do you have a story like that or anything like that you remember? I mean, my, <laughs> I would say it, Justin probably could kind of hit on it too. It was like, I mean, I've walked into basketball courts before too, where everyone playing is black and they see me walk in. They're like, yeah, we're picking that dude last. <laughs> and Mark doesn't have the advantage, advantage of being six, five. Yeah, I'm also five foot nine. So. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. And then, then maybe the, so, so, I mean, are, so why are, why, why are more white people killing themselves? Cause they can't get on the basketball court or what, what's going on here? Do we All need right. to have like what's going on here? No, no, I know I'm joking, uh, but I know there's something about that. And I think it is even connected more to I was reading a little bit, man, just because of the like rule, more rule and all this stuff. I mean, there's something going on, right? I don't know, man. I mean, you guys tell me. Um, I, I mean as far as like the, the I kind of relate this to the to the transgender movement. Like you see a lot of like most people who most girls, I guess, who transition to or are in transition to becoming like boys or whatever, like they're mostly white. Um, and I, I can't remember. There's a book about this. I don't remember the author's name. It's a woman. She's been on Joe Rogan, but she talks about how, like, since there is like this hierarchy of victims, like obviously white girls, like white teenage girls are like way down on that list. And as a way of being able to like fit in or feel like they're fitting in with society, in order to become, they have to become a victim. So what better way than to say, well, I feel like a boy, so I'm going to transition to being a boy. And I think that's definitely a part of it because you see obviously higher rates of suicide among like the transgender community. So uh, that could be a part as well. And then as far as like men or boys, like what, what I hit on earlier, like there is sort of this um, society is kind of like out to get white males. Like, like we can't. Like if we try to hit up a girl, like we're we're catcalling them, we're uh, we're chauvinists or whatever. Or so then uh, you got males like afraid to talk to women now. And of course, if you don't have that male female like partnership, I mean that results in like depression in males like pretty quickly. So I think these are factors that play into that. So let me throw the question back a little bit on the on the suicide rates. Is that a higher rate per capita or total number of of white people who are committing suicide versus other ethnicities. Um, 
Oh man, I gotta have it in front of me. But it was kind of like that. It was like seventy percent of it, but was of the of the. I guess it was like one point three million people were. See, I kind of look at that similar to, uh, like, murder rates and crime rates and stuff like that. Like, or uh, for instance, one of the things that anytime uh, police shootings gets brought up, that some people. I'm just going to leave it at some people will bring up is that more white people are killed annually by the police than other ethnicities. But would like what you have to do. See, I'm a, I'm a stats guy. So like the numbers are kind of where I live on this stuff. What you have to do is you have to separate uh, like per capita from just total numbers. So like, obviously because of the, demographical differences in the u.s there are more white people than there are black people mexicans asians so on and so forth so naturally statistically there are going to be more white people who are shot so i kind of look at the the suicide rate thing in the same way like if we're just talking about raw numbers just the the total numbers obviously that makes sense that more white people are going to be committing suicide because there are more white people to count if, does that make does that make sense like yeah yeah no no I, I yeah would, i would have to see a, a breakdown of like yeah I, I was trying to look up the article real quick but uh they're uh, well anyway i mean because it doesn't matter you know but it says right and uh, it doesn't matter i mean man, i don't doubt i don't doubt that at all i don't even if you broke it out like per million i'm sure that there are more white people who are committing suicide per million than there are any of the other demographics and and that's i think that is a well like symptom well, of uh we have become soft and this is true. I think, I think progressivism has made the middle and upper middle class white person exceptionally soft. Like, because you are, you're scared to ever do anything that might offend anybody. So if you're, when you say progressivism, does that also mean any type of, like it's political, I know, but there's also like economic progressives, like, like, you know, people are wealthier, so they don't, they're soft and also the ways of like in a different yes, type of, well. okay. So it, all of it, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So both the, both the social and the economic side of progressivism, it has created a soft, it has created a soft middle to upper middle class white person in the, you tiptoe through life because you don't ever want to offend anybody. You have been like, maybe not so much for me. Like, like I know I didn't have it as bad as the kids who lived in the hood, but I grew up thinking that we were poor. Like, like I, I never knew that we actually had money. And if you, if you went to our farm today, you would not know that my parents have money. Like we just, that's not the way we were raised. Uh, but like for a lot of white society especially the middle and upper middle class they've been raised thinking that they do have this like huge advantage over everybody else and so they tiptoe through life and they're scared to do anything they're scared they're scared to be successful because they think if they're successful that it perpetuates this uh systematic racism that i don't want to say that it doesn't exist i absolutely know that it exists but it doesn't exist to the extent that it's played up by the media to exist. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I, 
uh, I'm hearing you out. Yeah, I mean, I don't talk to a lot of white people. But that's why I'm asking you guys all these questions. But those, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, yeah, so like, I always think it's like unfair that there can't be like that there isn't mainstream white comedians that can just make fun of everybody like the way Chappelle does, like super mainstream, you know, like that sucks. Like, like there should be, it should be, you know, to me, like the comedy show and, 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 and how the comedy is played out in society, it, it, it says a lot. So that's why I, you know, I dig y'all show because I, I know what you guys are doing in y'all show. And it's, I, I like that kind of stuff. It's funny, you know? Um, so, but yeah, it's fucked up. So, you know, I'm not looking at numbers or whatever. I'm not on the streets like that. Like, uh, but I can see a comedy show and just be like, Hey, why isn't there a, a, a white guy just talking all kinds of shit about no, because he's going to get canceled out. Right. He's going to, you know, he can't do that. But if if it was the other way around, like, uh, you know, so I'm not defending, you know, you know, I'm not defending. I'm just, I'm defending like fairness, you know, like, Hey, everybody should be made fun of, you know, and everybody should be able to talk shit. And that, you know, that sucks. You know, it sucks. I, I you know, I don't like that. You know, you don't, you know, I mean, I want to hear all the racist jokes that you guys want to make about us. You know, I want to hear all that shit, man. That shit's funny, you know? So anyway, but uh, yeah, what do you think, Mark? No, no, I agree with you, man. That's that's funny. Uh, I was just going to make a note earlier. Uh, that author's name is uh, Abigail Schreier, uh, and her book was Irreversible Damage. Um, but as far as like fairness or whatever, like I... I I don't necessarily disagree with you, but on the other hand, it's like, I can't stand people going around like screaming, this isn't fair. Or I, <laughs> my group is be kind because of this certain thing, whatever. So I'm just going to live my life as, as if there is like a, we're all on firm ground, even though, I mean, that's not true of anybody, but I think that would be the best for me. And if I had a family of my own for them as well. Yeah, fair enough. And that leads into like, uh, like the, the next question, kind of that. Um, hey, what's up, everyone? Visit BUenterprises.com. BU is a company that helps you with relaxation, stretches, and breathing techniques that you can implement in your daily life. I have been using them for over three months now. And even though with the holidays that just passed, some of uh, my classes I was not able to make uh, due to a lot of uh, uh, not having enough time to, to do it. Whatever I had learned in previous sessions, I was still able to do them uh, throughout the Christmas and New Year's break. Uh, and I still feel very good. Um, one of the main stretches that I use is in my truck when I'm at a stop sign. That's been a game changer to be able to do some of my shoulder rolls and some of my lower back stretches. And uh, I learned those at uh, BUenterprises.com. So if that is something that sounds uh, appealing to you, where you want to try to have a customized uh, program for your, your daily life, visit BUenterprises.com. Uh, uh, sign up for one of their programs. Be sure to use the promo code CHINGASOS. In all caps, C-H-I-N-G-A-S-O-S, Chingasos, for 20% off of your purchase. Um, once you sign up, use them, email me, let me know how it's going. We can exchange some uh, some of the uh, some tips. I want to know how you guys are doing. So uh, please visit BUenterprises.com and use the promo code Chingasos, all caps, 
and uh i'll see you on the on the next one peace um so you know uh well you might not know but uh you know i was a ron paul guy too you know so i you know i i got in the same way and before the ron paul stuff i was like a bill maher guy i would watch bill maher stuff on hbo that was my shit and you know uh that's just the way i knew my politics and stuff but um but um you know lately it feels like and maybe with the how you know we described him as like the post-libertarian or some of that stuff uh or with pete and all that kind of uh, uh those guys it's been that um it's like and and even so uh i was reading some of your work like uh, it's like the the building of cultures and um i like that because it it focus it, it's maybe as i'm getting older too it's it's focusing the uh your limited time and energy towards something that you can really that really is yours to to build on or to to interact with it because you know the 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 federal state for sure is on autopilot i mean good luck even trying to do something with that and maybe the state level and local you know as you get more local yeah you can you you have you're able to do more stuff to it but um but um can you guys paint a picture of of how either big or small or what kind of um uh, uh mechanisms would be would be in your culture that you're that you're envisioning for yourselves uh because when i say big i mean when you because I, I always also think too like when people and you know and, and you do this a little bit mark i i think you know and it's okay man like in your writing where you like the left or like that that seems to i i know i know that there there's the left culture but it seems too big it, it seems too um uh like you can't grab it um but you know that that's just me the way that I kind of see it. Like so, that when I ask about how big of a culture do you want, like um, like you can't really do too much about people that think left. You know, there's too many. Like, what are you gonna? They're they're, they're way like uh, they're out there. But you know, what are you gonna do? So like, I guess like paint a picture of y'all's culture that you guys are trying to create amongst like whether it's a community of this many people or this. Like, uh, and I'm asking that too because I'm in the process of trying to build a culture with my football stadium in that there's going to be people that are going to come over and those people, I'm going to want them to be family people. You know, I'm not going to just invite people that are going to be uh, uh, people that are going to miss up the culture that I'm trying to have here. And, and, you know, sports is going to play a big part in it and all that. And white people, are you, you guys are invited. Okay. No, there's no, you, if you can play, you get on the field. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, uh, the question is mostly just to be like um, more of a, a vision of a culture that, that you're envisioning, you know, you could talk about it with it, the color of it or the 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 justice system inside of it you know however just freestyle the kind of cultures that you you envision for your fam for yourself and your families and stuff like that so my sole experience with soccer was because i know what kind of stadium you're shooting for or football oh, it's not that you. kind of football not that kind of football <laughs> <clears throat> my sole experience with that landed me in the hospital for three days with a collapsed lung so i will probably sit that out and just do the <laughs> nice. grilling but i will I'll absolutely come and cheer everybody who's playing on. But uh, go, yeah. Mark, I'm going to let you go ahead and feel this one first. But it it almost sounds like uh, Carlos is leaning a little hoppian, didn't it? It did a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, when you're talking about like cultures and, and community, like small communities, like I, I did kind of go over this, or like Pete's gone over this quite a bit, and he talks about the the ten thousand Lichtensteins. Um, and so what that kind of means is you have 
many, many different communities, uh, Hoppian um, covenants, like um, within this large landmass that is the United States. Because obviously we have a, a very, very large country and we have various cultures around. Um, I don't know like what, it's the way that Hoppe paints it um, is he kind of like talks about a, a beautiful mosaic where you have people of like, like mind or people who like to associate with each other kind of grouping together and building their own little community. But then you have another community that's like right next to it. That is also full of people who have like mind and who want to associate each other who are different from that other one. But when like looked or viewed from afar, like you've got a beautiful like mosaic of various cultures um, put together. And this mosaic can play on a, on a, on a big city scale. I mean, like, so sometimes when I hear the talk, it sounds like it's, I guess I envision and hearing you say it that way uh, gives me a different way of looking at it is that so like I'm not going to invite these people like they live, they live. I don't I don't even know where they fucking live. They're just going to come over to my house to come play the the, the game that they're passionate about. But yeah. but we're coming together. But sometimes when I hear the the talk, it seems like like you have to actually get a well, I don't know, a community of like a neighborhood or or a big enough like. Where you're actually close enough to because, you know, you, you know, this stuff, too, where you guys talking about expelling people from the community. And uh, I always think like, I don't know. I mean, I get it, but it, it just just the same way that we sometimes might talk shit about oh like they're uh, they're talking about libertarian stuff that they can never that they got no power. They got none of that. Sometimes that to me sounds the same. Like what? Like that ain't going to ever happen. Like, what you know, it could happen in a small family community. But so I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the vision of what of what you guys think of community for you, like, like y'all's like idea, like, Oh, I would like, if you say, Oh, I want to live in a community of 50, you know, uh, 20 families or this, or like, you know, what, what, what is y'all's vision of uh, this community or, the, or, or whatever you guys think? Sorry yeah, for interrupting so, a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, no, just, no, no, you're good. That's cool. Um, no, I guess like, obviously this isn't like what we have set up right now, which is something that is, it seems more feasible for the future than what uh, like, complete anarchy would look like or this is what anarchy would look like as far as like uh anarchy goes um but as for the community that i want to live in like I, I like i said i don't have like a specific number per se but like this isn't something that could be accomplished where i'm at and like a, i'm in a city right now but if i were to move to like a small more small like rural community um of course like different people from different uh like communities are you know, you can cross lines and all this stuff, but let's just say in this community, I have like like-minded people and I prefer like a more ordered society. And this doesn't mean like order as far as militarizing the police or like putting a policeman on every block or anything like that. Like the best way to, to build order is to actually create a more like, I guess, a, a culture of like understood values. So if I were to build like my own community, and if I wanted to create this order, I would probably do like there would be something understood as far as like the people who live here believe that there are only two sexes. And like I keep going back to this, <laughs> I keep going to the transgender thing. I don't know why, but like this is like a big thing to me because I think that when you have like this sort of confusion uh, as far as what constitutes a man and a woman, and you got, I mean, you got teenagers. Think, girls thinking that they're boys and teenage boys thinking they're girls like that so is chaos and chaos kind of like breeds like more chaos with not within not just the home that like these teenagers or these even these adults live but 
with their neighbors as well. So then it's just kind of like this uh, multiplying effect to where your community loses its order because they no longer agree upon what constitutes a man and a woman. And then that kind of spreads out exponentially, like you might say a virus would. And then you kind of lose that inward order that you had within your small community and it turns into chaos. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear you. I I would disagree that that particular one that is the one that you, you know, is that like, uh, you, you, you know, like the, the issue of trans- the transgender. Yeah, like that, that, yeah. that it has that much weight on causing yeah. uh, chaos in a community. But uh, maybe, you know, I mean, it's not something I uh, think of, like, think about. I know that there's, you know, there's communities here in San Antonio, you know, they have their areas, they different, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it. I was going to say with that, like, kind of what I think of with that and kind, uh, kind of like the, the mosaic that, that Mark was talking about, like, think of like old, really, really old school New York, like when it was, you know, uh, uh, gangs, Island. Of, gangs of New York style or which, which, which the older I mean, than that to, to an extent, but yeah, okay. like, like Ellis Island and it being the, like the place where everybody came to. So you had, uh, I don't think boroughs is the right word, but but you had like all of these very distinct communities. You, you know, you had Chinatown, you had a very robust Jewish community, you had a very robust Irish community, Russian, Polish, um, like you had all of these people in this one place together, and they all kind of had their own part of town that they had, but they also like. Yes, there were fights and there were gangs and there were all of that stuff that, you know, kind of comes with uh, the territory of conflict that you have between different groups, especially when you consider that some of those groups migrated from places in the world that brought conflict here. Like the conflict didn't the conflict didn't start with them in New York. The conflict came with them. But you had all these different groups that occupied the same city and they each had their piece of it. But at the same time, they were all what made it. And you, now that we've like, we've forcibly created. What does, uh, what does made it mean to you? What do you say made it? I mean, it just, I mean, what is, I mean, I heard you, I mean, I, I, I'm hearing you say it, but what, what, I don't want to like uh, also let you off the hook that what is, you know, what does that mean? So I mean, very distinct groups occupying their own very distinct piece of territory um they serve a purpose in what made the city great what made it work what kind of created the flow that was like new york at its absolute apex because i don't think anything in the 20th century is new york at its apex i I think it's uh this like forced melting pot that if the last 40 years of crime rates has shown has kind of been a failed experiment. Uh, But when all of those groups are able to do what they do well, and they're able to do that in coordination with the other groups in that area, it's, it creates a, that's the community, that's the community. Like that's the culture that, that I think of is my group here in our neighborhood. We all have gardens and we all have dogs and we all do all of this more agorist type stuff. Our neighbors in the the little uh, 
subdivision right across the the ditch from us they're all the real hoity-toity well-to-do uh state policemen and retired professors and like they're the more you know intellectual type class and they buy our eggs and they buy our grocery and they they buy our our gardening stuff and like they invite us to dinner parties and stuff and like we have we don't do the same things, but we have good interaction. And that's what made all of those different groups within, you know, New York of the, of the 1800s really great was that it was all of these different groups that did their own thing, but they also did things together to create a, a culture and a community that was New York at that time. Well, well, some, but you don't, but you're not against, uh, because, uh, you know, like, Sometimes those different groups and, you know, they intermarry, right? People fall in love, right? I mean, you know, you know, you, you know, right? I mean, that's, there's no, and then that's how that starts. That's how some of the, the heat, the the heat starts coming up on that melting pot is that people, you know, you know, people get are attracted to their people and they go smash and they get, you know, and then they, they get married and shit, man, that, you know, that that's the way that happens a lot. Right. I mean, that, that's not not forced to the intermingling of the groups. It's when it's forced. Like that's what you that's what you see with modern. Well, then uh, uh, you guys help me out because really I'm asking these questions like sincerely. Like when you say force, what does what do you mean force? Like how? So, uh, how... Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. I might have an answer to this. Um, just so I know, you know. What's that? No, just so I know because I, I you oh, know yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. Yeah, you know. No good questions. Um, immediately after the the Civil War, the war between the states for some people, <laughs> uh, there was uh, like. Reconstruction hadn't like amped up to like a certain degree, like immediately following. Um, so you have you have like writers talking about how I wish I had this book in front of me, like the the relations between whites and blacks in the South obviously weren't like perfect, <laughs> but they weren't as bad as they would become like just even 10 years later when reconstruction amped up. So when you have the Yankees come down from the North and start amping up reconstruction uh, before that happened, like the amount of people like lynched in the South, it was like the same kind of percentage for whites and blacks. The Yankees come down and they try to quote civilize these freed blacks. What they were really doing instead of civilizing them was trying to turn them into northerners which there was already this sort of tension this conflict between southerners and northerners and you have northerners trying to turn southern blacks into uh like into more of like a northern mindset and this actually created a further divide between the south or between the whites and the blacks in the south than what was initially there even follow immediately following the freeing of the slaves and the sort of force thing that justin's talking about is that reconstruction coming down from the North after the North defeated the South in the civil war. And then that is carried on into modern day, like, uh, like, like housing policy and stuff like there is, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like the wrong word to use, but it's, it's really the right word word to use. There, there's a, there's a forced integration of uh, like changing zoning in different cities and stuff where that you have certain housing that becomes low income housing in the middle of like, what would otherwise be upper middle class areas. And so it's in, in every situation where that is being tried. And I'm not saying that I particularly disagree with the 
idea behind it. Like it's trying to create some sort of inequality, but you can't create that. Like that's not something that you can manufacture. That has to, like that has to be the natural integration of the groups. Like you were talking about the intermingling and people are going to, people are going to marry between, between groups and stuff. And, you know, uh, that has to happen naturally. It it can't be this forced thing where you just say, okay, now we're going to put, this is low income housing in the middle of a upper class neighborhood. Well, that's in every situation that's been tried, it has been an abject failure. And that's why you see what New York is today, what Chicago is today. Like it is, it can't, it, there, there has to be a natural organic way that society moves in that direction. And what we have done or what the government has done uh, especially in a lot of these more progressive cities. And when I say progressive, what, what I really mean is Democrat-controlled leftist cities is they have tried to force that to be the thing before it was ready to be the thing. And so then it puts it puts everybody who's being placed in these low-income housing situations or uh, you know areas, they're now looked down upon. And then everybody who's you know surrounding that now they're looking to get out and, and it's, it's not, well, it, uh, you yeah, I had, you can't have a forced integration like that. Like it has to, over time, it happens naturally. You, like you would, uh, there was, and now see, now I'm wishing I had a book in front of me. There is actually evidence that like, even in the South leading up to the civil war. See, like, cause I don't read, I don't read books, man. So I'm just talking like the way I would talk like normal. So, but I have interviewed people. So, is that is that that that's what they call white flight, right? People just keep on going out and out and out. I, I, okay, but um, yeah, you know, Atlanta and, is a good example of that. Uh, okay, and um, and you said like forced, uh, like like that it, it would happen naturally. So, would you kind of, like what I was envisioning when you were talking was that because there was uh, like forced like housing, right? Like over here, it's housing, right? So they'll they'll try to do like housing, uh. Uh, and then it, it, everybody gets upset, you know, when I, everybody's a people that wh- whoever lived there, it's all different people, but you know, it's probably a majority of type of color, right. That's, 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 that, that's doing that. Okay. No, but no big deal. But you're saying that they would have not have normally fallen in love. These, these, these people be, because they would have not normally have interacted, but what naturally they would have interacted later on. Like, you know, when you, when you kind of say it like, um, see, like, so, so, when they're forced in there or when they're placed there or, or like they're, like they're, they're subsidized to live there. And then they, some people fall in love. Is that what you mean by forced melting pot? So, so there was evidence. Uh, like I said, I wish I had the book. <laughs> there was evidence that. No, but what do you see? What do you, what do you think? What do you believe? Like, what do you think? Like you could say like, yeah, yeah. They might've fallen in love a hundred years from now, but they did 10 years or they did. 50 years earlier because, you know, the state put them here. You know, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm at. You know, you know, see, I mean, they, might, uh... they may have 50 years earlier because of that forced integration. But at the same time, the level of is the level of conflict that was created by that. Uh, does that offset the the progress that's made there? That's what you have to kind of weigh. And like, so, OK, so what I was getting at was like there is evidence that slavery was on its way out in the South anyway. Like that was happening. But the whole Civil War thing, like it, it artificially forced the issue 
that would have played itself out naturally and just been done with and could have been done with peacefully and without any of the bullshit. But because the issue got pressed, then it became what it became. So like nature has a way of kind of taking care of itself. Uh, It's, it's like the natural for the natural park policy that the uh, and the environmental policy that the government has like a lot of the the way that the u.s government cares for natural parks and stuff like that uh, national parks and stuff like that it's counterintuitive to the way nature actually takes care of itself so like the wildfires that you see in california and other environmental issues that are happening those are artificially created because of bad government policy that actually foregoes the natural development of the world so that's what I see. Like, I see this as the same thing. Like, this is forcing something that isn't ready to happen that would naturally come about if you just leave it alone. Like, integration and stuff like that happens on its own. That's, and, and that's like, that's, that's shown historically throughout the rise and fall of civilizations is that that sort of thing takes place over and over again. But if you start, uh, artificially forcing it to happen ahead of its predetermined time or whatever, then you create these extra conflicts that put us in the situation that we're in now where you have people that are always at each other's throats because they're not ready to be in these positions. Is that, I'm I'm hearing you, man. Yeah. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. What do you think, Mark? Um, Even if you like, okay, you look at the TV screen right now and they'll tell you anybody on the screen will tell you that, like black and white relations are worse in the south than they are in the north um part of the reasons that they give is because it's more sectionalized in the south they got you know the whites doing their things the black doing blacks doing their things and they're more segregated naturally now right and there's not as much intermingling or or integration but then you just look at a state like mississippi which is what 33 percent black and you, you go up to seattle which you know, everybody in the city of Seattle probably has a BLM flag hanging in their window and that's 3% black. So I mean, what does that, I mean, I know not everybody can move, but that kind of tells you that maybe there is this, as Justin was talking about earlier, there is this sort of like natural inclination for in-group preference and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not to say that the South and the South is completely still segregated, right? Because I mean, what's, what's huge in the South bigger than anywhere else is football and you got mostly black athletes playing out there on the field and these white fans in the stands absolutely like glorify these people. So it's not like it's a, uh, it's not as a divisive, even though maybe it might be more sectionalized, like maybe that actually creates like a healthier relationship between these groups. Yeah. Um, what I had asked, what I had told you guys about, uh, like, if you remember your first, uh, racist, uh, like a story i'll tell you mine real quick i think it's kind of funny i think you guys are gonna get a laugh out of it it was funny so i don't know what grade it was it was either third or fourth or fifth grade but they were doing like the rosa parks uh like uh uh, the bus like the doing the bus thing Mm -hmm. and they were asking like people like uh oh who wants to be the (laughs) and me you know because i was a class clown i didn't give a fuck i was just like whatever like i you know I, i i don't mind the lights i guess or whatever whatever the fuck so but I didn't know at the time what it was going on, what, the, what it was. And they were like, so there was this one white girl. She was playing Rosa Parks, right? And then they needed to get the school, the, 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 the bus driver guy. And nobody wanted to be the bus driver. 
and the darkest kid in, in, in class becomes the bus driver, right? So we do the we do the whole road, the whole shit, right? Like that, you know, there's lines you're reading or whatever the fuck you do them. And then I remember like the next day, uh, like uh, they were like laughing at me, right? They're like some some older kids were laughing at me. Like why the fuck are they laughing at me? And they're like, because man, you you're the you're the white racist one, and you're the darkest motherfucker. Like, they're just making fun of me, and I was like. I didn't even like I didn't even think I didn't even think in those terms, you know, it was just, uh, you know, but uh, so it wasn't like evil, but I never forgot about it. How, you know, I, you know, nobody want like the class wasn't moving forward. Somebody had to play the the bus driver. I, didn't, I mean, yeah, I guess he was white, but I didn't care. I was just like, oh, I didn't even think about my own color, man. But it was just a, it's a funny story that I always thought it was kind of funny that, you know, somebody had to play the white bus driver on, on those stories, you know, and. I don't know. So that's what that's I was kind of thinking about. But um, yeah. what's up, everyone? Please visit palomaverdecbd.com for all of your CBD needs. If you need anything to take the edge off during the day uh, to help you sleep at night or just with a little bit of uh, body aches and pains that you might have, uh, Paloma Verde CBD carries all types of CBD products that can help you on that front. I use it. Basically, in the morning, I put some tincture drops in my morning juice, uh, whether it's a green juice or orange juice, uh, I put it in my uh, drink. And then I also use it in the evenings to help me wind down to help me get into sleep. Um, And also, I take some of the gummies an hour before I know that I'm going to do an interview. Uh, I feel that it helps me um, just relax a little bit and focus on the task at hand of trying to make myself sound smarter than I am. Um, so if that is something that uh, sounds like it's appealing to you, please visit palomaverdecbd.com. Use the promo code chingasos. That is C-H-I-N-G-A-S-O-S, chingasos. And um, get 25% off any anything over $75, uh, free shipping, once again, visit palomaverdecbd.com. It is a business that my wife and I run, and we are very proud of it. And we want to try to help any of you that are looking for some relief. So once again, visit palomaverdecbd.com and get your CBD products. Gracias. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Justin, so you're a parent, and well, Mark, you were saying that, uh, like, you know, obviously, like, you want to become a parent one day, and you know, to me, uh, during this all the COVID stuff uh, that was going on, um, I um, I uh, uh, purposely, at least, you know, I live in San Antonio, so it's like a big city or whatever. But so it had, it had the shutdowns, it had all that stuff, and I purposely tried to say like that the 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 shutdown was going to give an advantage to my daughter to be able to build skills like social skills, because we never stop going to restaurants, going things to different things like that. So how important is it like to, you know, this goes to, you know, for Mark, you know, as, you know, as you want to become a parent or just like, how important is it is, is parenting as a, as a, in, in, in this age of where like all this uh, authoritarianism is just everywhere where, you know, that you can still use it as a, as a way to, uh, I wouldn't say, so even this goes to a little bit of what you guys were talking about victimhood, like, um, you know, I don't use victimhood as a way to perpetuate uh, some momentum behind you, but you could definitely uh, 
paint a under uh, an underdog narrative in, in in all aspects of all kinds of you know it happens in sports it happens in this so you know it, it, uh, how important is it uh, about being a parent and and having those uh skills that, because i mean i wasn't taught those skills i mean it just i don't know you become a parent i guess you just try to figure out the best you adjust to whatever the situation is and you try your your best uh so the question is like you know how important is it to be a, a good parent in these times you know yeah, I'll let the parent go first here. So, you know, we were talking about the uh, the soft middle and upper middle class white kids. Uh, even though my my stepdaughter is mixed, my kids are definitely like the soft kids. And so I've tried to I've tried to toughen them up to some extent because like like I grew up thinking that we were poor, even though in hindsight, I now know that we weren't like I, I never knew that. And so my kids have, my kids have never not thought that anything that they wanted or needed was going to just be magically provided. So I've tried to, I've tried to invoke a little more of the underdog type thing, like try to push stuff on them that they're not going to want to do, or they're not going to like to do just because like you need to lose at some point in life, like losing teaches a valuable lesson. Uh, and, and like we joke about my parenting style and I, I am a little bit rough around the edges and I, I it, it's, it's deliberate because I do think that in our modern society, these kids need to, they need to be bullied a little bit and they need to learn how to lose. And they need to learn that like, you're not going to just magically get, everything that you want whenever you want it and i think um especially in like post lockdown you know still hopefully on the tail end of covid society when you're seeing uh if you've watched buck's episode from with uh with mark mcdonald and he talks about like young kids who have who he treats as a psychologist or a psychiatrist whatever however that uh the proper terminology for, for his profession is um, he talks about like the mental anguish that these kids are going through and how depressed and suicidal and everything that they are because they're not getting the proper social interactions that they need. They're not being challenged. They're being brought up in this just like fear riddled world. I think kids need to be pushed a little bit and they need to feel the humor of the situation and they need to not just live in a doom and gloom type thing. Like they need to learn how to lose and they need to learn how to have fun. And you need to be a bad parent to some extent and you need to push your kids and like get them out of their comfort zones because otherwise they become these miserable, depressed little fucks that are not going to be successful when they grow up. Like if I hadn't, if I hadn't gotten my ass kicked for being a just just because I was the tall, skinny, nerdy kid, I I don't know if I grew up to be who I am today. Like that that definitely added a level of toughness to me. You get punched in the back of the head a few times and called a nerd, and you toughen up. Like uh, or or like I did, you co-op the bully as your best friend, and then uh, you know you turn him loose on the people who would otherwise bully you. Like you learn to. You learn to survive <laughs> and and kids these days are not getting that experience. Their parent, they, you know, these fucking helicopter parents take care of all their problems for them. 
I don't take care of anything for my kids. I've told my son straight up, if you want to fail every class you've got, I don't give a shit. That's on you. We'll sit here and we'll do eighth grade again next year and you can try it again. But I'm not doing your homework for you. I'm not going to give you any answers and I'm not going to baby you. You need to learn how to be successful on your own. And unfortunately, in the society that we live in, that is not I would be viewed as a bad parent. Uh, DCS is probably going to come knocking on my door as soon as we release this because I'm obviously a terrible parent. And if my ex ever hears this, I mean, not that she doesn't already know that this is the way I'm like, this is my parenting style, but like, it's not a popular thing, but that's the way that more of these kids need to be raised because we are completely, and this is across the board. I mean, my mom was a preschool teacher for years. And even in my hometown, that is a, majority African-American community. Those kids that would come through her preschool classes were every bit as bad as my kids were four or five years ago. Like they are pampered, they are babied and they have never been told no. And that is a, that is doing a disservice to our children. Mark. Yeah. uh, I do have some experience uh, working with kids. uh, And I was kind of a known as I worked in a facility that, um, like kids who came from experiences of like abuse and neglect were placed into this, this residential home uh, by the state. Um, so I was kind of known as the, the, the dictator staff for a while, because <laughs> like, like Justin, I was kind of really structured and I kind of came on uh, with a hard edge for a while because I just wanted to be able to, I mean, the first thing these kids needed was a safe environment. And if you let them, run the quote asylum then it was just complete chaos all around um but at the same time while i did have i guess like strict uh like structure or order rules um like there are other staff who were like not like that but more strict in like weird ways as far as kids in the room needing to be cleaned to like this exact point system that we had like there was this paper and it was like well this had to be your bed had to look exactly like this your closet had to look exactly like this your toys had to be here and it's like i don't really as long as the room looks pretty tidy like that's fine with me because i think that there's a sort sort of ownership with kids in like maybe their own space like i don't want the room to be completely crappy and there are banana peels everywhere but i think i can't like i feel dumb saying this as a non-parent but as a someone who's kind of dealt with kids before there are different um ways in which to be like structured with your kids and you got to pick and choose these battles and there were times when like non-negotiables for me were if like one kid attacks another kid like that kid didn't do anything to him or whatever like that's that's like not okay at all and i'm going to intervene in that situation or if uh if one of the kids was like super disrespectful to another staff like that's a non-negotiable but if a kid gets mad and like a board game and stomps off and like sits in the corner for a while. I was like, ah, and I'm talking to him later. He's like, I probably shouldn't get mad. I'd be like, well, it's good for people to get their blood pressure rolling a little bit. That means he's still have feelings. So kind of like this balance between like creating an environment for your kids where they do follow, like, uh, I guess the authoritative, the person who's in authority, like their structure and their rules, but also giving them the freedom to have their own like space or have given them the freedom to have experience their own emotions as long as they don't like take them out on someone else like 
unless they're taking them out on someone else because uh, someone else is bullying them, then that might be fine in my eyes. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like Mark so, and I yeah. talked about management styles on the morning show the other day, and I kind of view parenting in a similar way that I view my management style. Like I'm in a management position. I'm, I have very specific expectations that like we have to be doing certain things uh, in our shift, in our week, however you want to break up, you know, uh, the business cycle. But at the same time, I'm also very uh, laissez-faire. Like we have to be doing things, but I don't care if you're doing things your way. We just have to be getting it done. And so I, I approach parenting in a similar way. And like I have always been in in all of my management positions, I've always been considered kind of a hard ass boss, but I've also been considered a boss that everybody really likes and respects because I'm not going to get onto you for dumb shit. I'm going to allow you to do your job and ex- and I expect I expect you to do it well, but I'm not going to like stand over your shoulder and force you to do it. I, I just expect that you're going to get it done and then it's up to you to deliver. And I kind of approach parenting from a similar way. I'm not going to tell you exactly where everything in your room needs to be. But if your room is not up to a cleanliness standard that you know I expect, then you're going to go do it again and you're going to go do it again. And in my son's case, you're going to continue to do it until like you don't have time to do anything other than that because you won't get it up to that standard. But like, I'm not. I'm not going to explicitly tell you A, B, C, and D, this is what you have to do. You know what has to be done. And you, as long as you get it done, that's what I expect. And that's, that's both, you know, my management style and my parenting style. Like, you know, what's expected. Let's make it happen. And then Mark kind of, I think Mark kind of approaches, like that's kind of what he was talking about with the way he handled the, the youth in the homes that he's worked in is like, they need structure and they need to know what they need to know what's expected of them, but you also have to give them the freedom to deliver on that expectation. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and, and hearing you guys, and this is, a, I guess a narrative or a vein that I've been trying to kind of run through my shows a little bit. And that's why maybe I was pushing you guys a little bit on the, on, on some of the stuff earlier, but it, you know, and, and also about like the removing of people or, uh, like, uh, you know, when I heard you, Mark, and even like Justin right now, kind of talking a little bit, it's like uh, y'all's own little mini culture with each individual. You have a you have a little mini culture that you've created with each individual there. But in hearing you talk about you got to give them freedom to do that uh, or, or freedom of space a little bit. That to me is the natural balance of left and right, that if you have a nice balance between left and right you can create or at least advance uh, in a positive way. Now I can be wrong. And maybe right now we would, we would agree. We would maybe say like, Oh, there's too much left in society or too much. Okay. But you can still have these balances with individuals. So, you know, I mean, just listening to you guys talk about that. It's nice. You know I mean? So, you know, I I don't, I'm trying to uh, not say, but like a little bit is that, you know, I don't want to be the guy that says, Oh, like, kick out all of the left because I think we all have inclinations to the left in us, you know, a little bit. Um, but, you know, I guess it depends on how you play them out with a state 
uh, if you're close to the state and all that, then I guess you take advantage of that. Uh, I don't know if that resonates a little bit, but you know, these little mini cultures you guys create with your people, with your, with your, with your children, with your spouse, with all, you know, these, okay, well, my style has always been to have a balance between both uh, sides that you can have. And, you know, I find value in that, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, you know? Yeah, I think. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say that we've really had like a left wing society culture in, I guess, the world at large since like maybe, I mean, it's been a long, long time. So one of the like reformation, like this is this is how far back this goes or like the return of like democracy with all the with the revolutions that took place. Um, And I even like I talk about using democracy, too, which is I think I consider democracy to be a left wing tool. Um, But I I, if I use it like it's going to be like super, super localized. But anyways, I guess one reason that I then like harp on being right wing so much is because of how much how far that pendulum like has swung to where like neoconservatives are considered right wing when i mean even like 50 100 years ago they would have been complete leftist right so this is like how when i talk about the left it's i mean there are some people who are exempted from that right like there's these sort of blue dog democrats these union people who really they just they want to they maybe they want like socialized healthcare, right right but they don't want me to be forced to take a certain shot in order to to take care of my myself or my family or whatever like like these people i can get along with but when i'm talking about left like i'm just talking about like the whole i want to say like environment in which we live like i think we need to get away from this whole open society idea this unconstrained vision thing this is why I like that we're talking a lot about like family and smaller communities because that is at this point in time, like not left-wing at all because like the whole left-wing view um, broadly speaking is that we're all sharing the same world together. And we see how that goes where we've got uh, activists caring more about like starving kids in Africa than they do with their own, their own family. Like this is what that unconstrained versus the constrained view um, brings about and that's not to say i don't care about starving kids in africa but i care more about the one that is starving like in my own home and this is kind of this is how i view like the the, the right left dichotomy right now whereas or specifically like right wing is more constrained it's focused homeward and inward um more localized order and whatnot and you see this within like rural communities in certain states here, as opposed to like people in Maine, super upset that Texas passed a recent like abortion law. Like this, this is something I want to get away from. And it's mostly the left that's more concerned about abortion happening or abortion not happening in this case, a thousand miles away from them when they should really just be focused on their own community. Justin, you were going to say something. Uh, Yeah. So so like when you're talking about uh, maybe forcing people out or kicking people out, stuff like that, like the forcible removal, I, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I am kind of a fan of uh, Hoppian principles in that, in that manner, but I, I more prefer the, the ideal of 
you create your community and your culture and then those people just don't want to stay. And that's kind of what you're seeing with, there are a lot of, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, there are a lot of exoduses that are happening currently across the country. Uh, but what you're seeing is these people are leaving areas and they're still like, they're, they're still like-minded people that are unhappy with where they are. And so they're leaving these areas and they're still grouping themselves together. Like you're seeing a lot of Californians who are coming to Austin and Houston. You're seeing a lot of New Yorkers who are going to specific parts of Florida. Like they're like-minded individuals who are in a position that they don't like and they don't like what they're seeing. And, you know, to some extent that is, that is because of, the policies of California that is because of the policies of New York that are pushing these people out. They are, they are kind of creating that culture and that community and people are naturally leaving that because they don't want to be a part of it. So that's, that's more what I think of in terms of like pushing people out is you're not, it's not physically removing them, but it's creating that community and that culture that they don't want to be a part of it. And they know that they don't, and so like, now, obviously, if that person chooses to stay and they choose to be a disruptive force, then you may be left with the the option that you have to forcibly remove them. But the ideal is that you create this community and this culture that the people who aren't a part of that choose to leave on their own. And like I said, that's what you're seeing. You know, I bet you if you I mean, you're you're in San Antonio, so you're not that far away. I bet you if you go to Austin, a lot of those a lot of the the new Austinites are a lot of like-minded former Californians. Uh, certain parts of Florida, if you go to it, they are a lot of very like-minded former New Yorkers. And not to say that that's bad, that's a good thing. That's The communities are kind of reforming themselves and hopefully learning from the mistakes that, you know, kind of pushed them out of where they were previously. But who knows? You know, like that's that's to be seen. But that's where that's where I kind of think the the natural course of humanity needs to play itself out. When government starts getting involved and starts forcing these newly developing communities to do things in a certain way, like if say say if all of these you know Californians who have come to Austin start doing things a California way and the Texas governor, whoever that may end up being tries to shut that down. That's, that is a artificial imposition that's being put on those people. You're going to create friction. You're going to create tension. You're going to create a bigger problem than what it would be if it were allowed to just kind of play itself out. And, and so that's kind of the idea of the, the 10,000 Lichtensteins. Like it's, we don't want it to be a state by state level. You don't want it to be a County by County level. Like it should be, town to town, little tiny, my subdivision and that subdivision and that subdivision. And we do our thing the way we do our thing. And we interact with each other like the boroughs of New York that I was talking about earlier. Like we have our ways that we do it and we do it together, but we do it apart as well. And let, let nature kind of work out the smooth out the, uh, the rough edges as they as they kind of blend does that make sense 
Makes, uh, yeah, man. Makes perfect sense. Uh, so, yeah, man. Uh, thank you guys for uh, coming on. Uh, I hope uh, we created a little mini culture here of respect and having the uh, everyone's uh, ideas kind of uh, flow freely. Um, uh, this would be the first time I say this because it's got it's starting to get a little bit of uh, traction. But uh, uh, I hope you guys can make it out to my home on uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend. I think I'm going to be having an event here with... Uh, uh, maybe a bunch of like, the, you know, Matt Erickson just moved to San Antonio. Bug Johnson's nearby. Uh, uh, Andrew for Popular Liberty is agreed. Uh, Pete, Pete Q said uh, heavy yes. So I'm thinking of having a, like an event here um, and um, hope, you know, I hope you guys can make it out and uh, we'll eat some uh, carne asada, some cabrito, drink some beers. And uh, I really want to hear y'all's uh those Mexican jokes, man. I got to hear them, man. I got to hear them, man. So I know with them drinks, we get those out of you guys, man. But uh, um, thank you for coming on. Uh, can you please, uh, uh, Justin, can you talk about the stuff that you got going on? Then Mark, and then and then, and then, and then talk about y'all's uh, show together, please. Yeah, so you can check me out at uh, Fact Check This Podcast. It's on any of the podcatchers, uh, YouTube from time to time, Odyssey, Rumble, and BitChute. And and then uh, all the shows that I work for, Lines of Liberty, Counterful with Buck Johnson, Carlos's show, Los Libertinos, Peddling Fiction. I actually co-host Peddling Fiction these days, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, always Andy's Mom and The Paradox, which are a couple from actually from up in Mark's neck of the wood, Michigan, who they each do their own show and uh, they approach different topics from uh, from different angles that are not political at all and you should really check check both of those out uh and then there's a whole bunch of others i'll, I'll have to put together a, an official list of all the shows that i'm working for uh, one of these days but what do you got going on mark what do you got yeah um the emergent uh substack so just go to mark mark um there you'll find political commentary political essays even some like short story fiction stuff um just i mean my thoughts inside the head of my <laughs> inside my own mind which is sometimes rambling and hopefully once i push publish it's uh fairly easy to understand um and then at real mark Metz on twitter sometimes i disappear for two to three days and then come back and tweet something out and maybe it gains traction maybe it gets two likes but you can follow me there too and <laughs> See uh, what's in my mind. and what do you guys have going on for the morning after what's what's coming up uh tomorrow morning we have a show so when does it when does it play it plays yeah, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, every monday, monday every monday wednesday, wednesday and friday 8 30 a.m 8 30 a.m or 8 30 a.m eastern and yes. 7 30 central for because most of carlos's audience is in texas so they're going to be on normal people time not y'all's fast time all right perfect man so yeah if you guys want to my audience out there you want you guys want to hear some cool uh, white vatos uh, just talk some shit and have fun uh definitely tune in to the morning after They've had me on before. It's uh, it was it was a good time. So uh, yeah, man. Thank you guys for coming on, and um, I hope you feel I respected y- y'all's time, and uh, hopefully we could do it again. It was excellent. Thank you, Carlos. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Carlos. Peace. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah. Is that cool? We're all good. Yeah. yeah. Very good. <laughs> yes. All right. So that, sound, uh, uh, that sounds cool. Your your get together. That's kind of far for me, but I I've been to San Antonio twice and I loved it. So yeah, man. I'm nice. um. I'm going to try to do it. Uh, so Cinco de Mayo weekend is also like the big, uh, the fight, the boxing fight nights. So, okay. so, so it's always Cinco de Mayo and uh, Mexican independence, which is September 6th. So, so I'm trying to give value to the people like, uh, 
you know, uh, I'll give them a bag of Paloma Verde products. I'll uh, give, I'm going to feed them badass. They get to watch a $75 pay-per-view and uh, we all get to hang out and stuff. And maybe if uh, everybody's uh, feeling good, we can probably play both types of football, man. I, I, I've always been athletic. I'm a short guy, but, you know, I can play, you know. So, yeah, we can play some uh, some uh, regular football and then some other football. Like, I, it's meant to be all positive and, and good and, like, you know, about the whole stuff about creating a culture and creating a thing. So, so if it's a culture where we can have this event every Cinco de Mayo where it's, like, fun for all this, you know, it, it, it would create a culture outside of my normal San Antonio area, you know, it'd have people from coming out of town, but yeah. you know, that, that, that's still positive shit, you know? So yeah, man, yeah, I, no, and, you know, cool. well, well, I'm trying to, I'm gonna try to get the details uh, going, but I did reach out to, um, what's his name? That Vato, uh, Curtis Yarvin to be the headliner, but I don't know if he's going to say yes or no, but if I can get, <laughs> nice. I, if I can get him out of here, man, I think that'd be pretty cool. I, I interacted with him once and, uh, and, uh, I think he might like to, uh, he had said, Hey, that's a cool house you have back there. And so now if I invite if I invite him back, I'll be like, yeah, man, remember, like, you know, put on your soccer shoes to see what you got. That'll be sweet. All right, man, guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Peace. All right, see you, man. Later. Later.